WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week we're joined by the writer of Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, the OZ, and the upcoming Scouts Honor from Aftershock. Please welcome back David Pepos. Hi, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be back on the show. And I'm just excited to catch up with you guys. Uh, you know, it's the end of the year. And uh, I feel like, uh, especially this crazy year, it's been comics mm. journalists and comics podcasts who have really kind of kept, kept, kept hope alive, I think, for a lot of people in this industry. So thank you for all the hard work you guys have been doing in a crazy year. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to catch up with you guys. Well, thank you, man. And, uh, you know, we definitely appreciate that. Uh, did you have a good Hanukkah? Yes, uh, it was great. I, uh, you know, uh, it's funny for those who've been following me on social media. Um, I, I basically got a puppy for Hanukkah. Um, uh, yeah, shortly, uh, shortly after Thanksgiving, um, I got a call about a, a long standing puppy application that I had put in over the summer. And um, uh, yeah, so we have a, a brand new puppy. Uh, her name's Ruby. Uh, she's a little uh, Toto dog. Um, she is a uh, a handful. Uh, I love her already. Um, she is in the other room with her mother uh, because uh, she hates it when any of us leave the room. Um, so <laughs> Ruby's not ready for prime time for podcast just yet. Believe me, I've tried, uh, but she's a real sweetheart. And uh, uh, it was very, it was, it was very nice celebrating the holidays uh, with, with, with another dog in the house. And uh, so, yeah, thank you for asking. Absolutely. Um, you know, did, did you know that, you know, what you were looking for in a new dog when you started looking, you know, how was the adoption process different? Yeah, this year? it was challenging. Um, you know, it, it, it was one of those things. Um, so for, for people who have been following my social media even longer. Um, so a few years ago, right around when the first volume of Spencer and Walk came out, um, I half adopted, half kidnapped one of my parents' dogs. Um, my, my, uh, my, my previous writer's assistant, Holly, um, and she was just the sweetest, most wonderful dog. She was only supposed to stay with me for a month. We wound up keeping her for the rest of her life. Um, she passed just before COVID struck. And when I say just before COVID struck, I mean, really, it was just before everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was weird. It, you know, I mean, the shutdowns were very discombobulating this year for a lot of reasons, you know, uh, you know just you know the comics industry kind of went on hiatus for a while you can't mm-hmm. go to your favorite restaurants you can't go to the movies you don't know kind of what the, the scope of everything's going to be and i had just buried my beloved dog so it took a little while i think to kind of get my feet back under me um it was weird being in a quiet house not dealing with a dog who had cancer like end stage cancer um by the time i was kind of ready to do it to get it get it to get another dog um all these people that had witnessed holly's last months they were all very supportive and so they kept telling me oh they're you know i know somebody who's having puppies of that same breed um and so what wound up happening was uh after a couple of false starts uh holly's groomer knew somebody in in rural san diego who was having puppies and i was like well you know if, if anything happens let me know so we got a call right after thanksgiving saying hey actually we do have a puppy. Uh, she's a feisty one. Um, you want to give her a home? So yeah, uh, the wild thing though was that was like the same week that all the copies of the OZ were arriving and that was like <laughs> a thousand pounds of books. Uh, and so it was a real crazy week, uh, puppy proofing an apartment while getting all these books packed and shipped out in a timely fashion. 
Um, I don't quite know how we did it. Uh, I'm glad that it's almost over. Um, but yeah, it's been a it's been a really wonderful, hectic, amazing experience. Um, if people's microphones are like super well charged, you might even hear uh, Ruby <laughs> chiming in in the background. Um, she she uh, she's a, a feisty, sometimes dramatic uh, uh, little pup, uh, and I, I couldn't be happier with her. But yeah, it was definitely. Um, it was crazy. Uh, I was very stressed out. Uh, you know, it, it, this is, um, this is the youngest I've ever gotten a dog. It's the first time that I've ever raised a dog from scratch, essentially. <laughs> so uh, I'm trying my best not to break her. Uh, and I'm trying to be the best possible parent I can be. Um, she came to us litter box trained. So I, as far as I'm concerned, she's a prodigy. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, yeah, you know, we're just uh, trying to teach her not to bite ankles, not to bite uh, cords, uh, not to, she has a, her favorite game is uh, who stole daddy's shoes or who stole daddy's packing tape. Um, her, let's just say she did not help me in packing my Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, so I had to play along. And so I, I just gave her a roll of tape and I was just like, all right, run around the room. Just see how you enjoy it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, you know what, for how terrible this year has been. Um, I feel like Ruby is kind of, it's me turning a corner and, uh, and I can talk about it a little bit more, but, I feel like that's kind of an arc for Scout's Honor as well. Uh, sort of a, a post-apocalyptic book. Um, it's a weird thing to write in 2020, but mm-hmm. by the time I finished it, I think, I think it's about turning a corner. And I think by the time everybody else reads that maybe we'll all be turning a corner. Fingers crossed. Yeah, no, no, here's hoping. Uh, actually, uh, one of uh, my wife's uh, closest friends is uh, a nurse and uh, mm. she, she posted her vaccine selfie today. So yeah. Yeah, a friend of my wife's too, and it's just like she was, she was so excited that her whole office was getting that, va- or because she's up an office working hospital that they're all getting vaccinated. It was so exciting. Yeah, my, my my dad's a doctor, and he just got his vaccination over the weekend, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm very very thrilled for him. Very happy. Um, uh, you know, for those who don't know me, I grew up um, in pretty uh, a pretty conservative part of St. Louis, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the numbers are kind of spiking over there. There's a lot of sort of people saying like, do we need masks or how limited do we need masks? It's, it's very infuriating. Um, mm-hmm. And so I've always kind of been constantly low-key worried about my parents through this whole thing. Um, LA's numbers are not great, but at least most people know like you have to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that, that my father got his vaccine and uh, I'm hoping uh, uh, my mother and, and, and my uh, other elderly family members can get there soon. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, who'd have thought this time last year, I certainly didn't think uh, that we would wind up having such a bad year that we would literally be locked down in our own homes. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, it, it, it seems so surreal in retrospect and uh, it's surreal at how, how quickly we, I think we all got used to it. You know, at the time, we were just too busy staring at two dozen Democrats on debate stages yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and then just it, it really kind of hit like a, like a ton of bricks. I'll, I'll tell you guys a, a, a fun, weird story because you said tangents are welcome. I did. Um, Always. <laughs> and this will actually tie in a little bit to, act, to one of my books. So I promise there's a point to all of this. <laughs> so um, like I said, I grew up in a, in a fairly conservative Part of, uh, uh, part of uh, 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 an otherwise somewhat liberal city that is also in a very conservative state, you know, kind of the turducken of political. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, it not only was my, was my family particularly conservative, but I, uh, they were also uh, conservative Jews. 
And so I was raised Jewish. Um, I'm actually still a practicing Jew. Like it's sort of my uh, throwing a penny in the well of the universe, so to speak. And I can get back more into that when I talk about my post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult book. Um, but uh, when Holly was not doing very well, and thankfully, you know, her, dis- her decline went pretty quickly. So she did not really have, she only had really one bad day. But um, the last thing my mother asked me, as, as, a, as a pretty strict uh, Jewish mother, she doesn't believe in cremation. And apparently that extended to her dog. So the last thing my mother asks me before Holly passes is bring my dog home. Hmm. So you have to imagine me and my, uh, my 25 year old brother uh, getting a cooler, filling it with dry ice, taking hmm. my dead dog, driving it from LA to St. Louis to bury this dog in my parents' backyard. Um, I feel like there's a Sundance movie somewhere in that, but all this was, while all this was happening, this was when the news started getting really worried about mm. COVID. Mm-hmm. And so my brother and I, we still kind of chuckle a little bit to ourselves. Uh, we missed all of that. We were, we were just staying in like crappy hotel to crappy hotel mm-hmm. um, with a dead dog in a cooler and just praying every night we'd bring it into the hotel room, pray that no one asks what's inside the cooler. Mm. Uh, and so we, um, so we buried the dog and then I flew home to LA and about 48 hours later, everything shut down. Wow. So it was kind of especially jarring for me uh, because I feel like I missed most of the buildup. Uh, things like when I left, it's feel, I felt like, oh, COVID, it, you know, it's, it's broken through out of China and there's been some, some ha- cases happening in Seattle. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like a pandemic yet. It's not like nationwide. It's not like, you know, uh, it, hasn't, it hadn't hit LA at the time yet. Mm-hmm. And by the time I came home, everything had changed. Um, so, yeah, it was just a weird way to start a fairly dystopian year. No, no, certainly. I mean, I re- I remember during that time, like everybody dropping out of Emerald City and being like, mm, "This is concerning." Yeah. Yep. Oh, uh, right. Probably right around that same time, uh, my wife and I flew down to Florida to spend a week at her dad's condo with her dad. Wow. Over the course of that week, we left, and things were like, okay, it's it's the very end of February. It's like <laughs> things are, you know, things aren't great, but they're not terrible. And then flying home five days later, I mean, I remember sitting there the first night talking to her aunt who lives down there in another yeah. condo who was concerned about seeing her new grandbaby, her my wife's cousin's Kid who live, he lives in uh, near Talkeetna, so okay. Alaska. So oh, wow. like, okay. really, the I mean, Talkeetna is the nearest city, but it's like it's the town that Northern Exposure, the TV show, okay. was based on. Oh wow! So okay, it's a little city with an airstrip and not much else, and he lives. Mm-hmm away from there mm-hmm. and she was already talking about you know well if i have to drive up to alaska to to be there if i'll drive and guess what she did wow. she drove to alaska to see that baby wow. and, yeah. yeah but we were all like oh it's not gonna come to that and by the end of that week it's like wow it might come to that yeah uh, you know it was, it was it was weird and you know the other weird thing about all of that build-up is um that's actually when I signed the contract for Scouts Honor. Um, oh. <laughs> I, I literally, uh, uh, you know, 
the evolution behind that book was very weird. Um, for, for those who aren't familiar with the book, um, it's the story of uh, after a nuclear war, a cult has risen from the ashes and their Bible is an old Boy Scout manual. And so we follow, we jump 200 years and we meet Kit, who's kind of this young recruit for this Boy Scout cult. And we find out that Kit has a secret. Um, this cult is like hyper-masculine, um, really, you know, driven by machismo and toxic masculinity. They don't allow women to serve. And so she's had to conceal her identity in order to pursue what she considers her true calling uh, mm -hmm. to be a ranger scout. And what happens to this person when she makes a discovery that just totally flips the world and her belief structure off its axis? So it really becomes like a story about toxic masculinity and how oppressing secrets can be, but also it's about losing your religion and kind of how do you navigate that? What do you put in its place? How do you maintain your values when you still have to na navigate a human st uh, structure that can be corrupt, that can be sinister, that can be covering stuff up? And um, I pitched it a little over a year and a half ago. Uh, I remember getting the green light to flesh out the outline at uh, Fan Expo Boston last year. So that was last uh, August, I believe. Um, I got the green light officially around Christmas, but like I said, we did not get paperwork mm -hmm. to sign off on this until I was in St. Louis for my dog's funeral. Um, and so it was weird writing like 80% of this book under lockdown. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's funny, I, you might not expect it, given that my last two books had kind of a bleak, dystopian war undertones to them. I had really, during this administration, been very concerned about writing anything post-apocalyptic um, or dystopian. And maybe, I'm no Grant Morrison, but like, it maybe this is a little bit of magical thinking on my part, but it's like, what kind of energy do you want to put out into the world? You know, if... Uh, you know, do you want to put out something that's post-apocalyptic in a world that could very easily tip that way? Um, you know, and um, I'm glad Aftershock encouraged me to stick with it. Um, because, like I said, I feel like this book, when I started it, this was really when things were bad. But if anybody's familiar with any of my work, um, it, it, it generally starts with kind of dark places. And it's all about working your way up and out and through it. Um, it's about the redemptive arc. And so I feel like by the time I finished Scout's Honor, I realized this is not a story. It was set in a dystopian world, but it's not a story about dystopias. It's about a story about how do you turn a corner? And I felt that kind of energy by the time that I had finished uh, with Scout's Honor and finished writing DOZ for that matter, um, is that I think by the time everybody reads this book, and by the time they get to the end of this book, they're going to feel like, oh, maybe we're all kind of turning that corner. Um, you know, I think that's the thing about dystopian literature is that it can be very bleak and it can be very oppressive. And that's why for me, I always try to figure out like, how, how do we give, I believe in happy endings, you know, and how do we leave readers with a sense of hope? Because that's, you know, stories about change, you know, you don't wind up from point A to point A, you got to find a point B. And so I think I like to start dark and sort of leave my heroes in a more hopeful place by the end. So uh, you mentioned, you know, pitching this to Aftershock uh, yeah. last year. Uh, you know, what, what made this book one to do 
at, at Aftershock. You know, you um, obviously, you know, uh, going to the chapel, uh, Spencer and Locke, you've been in Action Lab for, for yeah. you know, a little bit. You know, were you looking to kind of see other publishers, sure. you know? Well, you know, it's, it's a great question. I mean, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of different variables that went into it. Um, first off, uh, I've been knocking on Aftershock's door for quite a while, um, since really my first book came out. Um, I've known uh, my editor, Mike Martz, since I was in college. Um, I interned for him when he was at DC. He was the Batman editor working on Batman R.I.P. And so I was there that summer um, with Batman R.I.P. and Final Crisis. And so Mike, um, I always saw him as a mentor figure. Um, you know, he, the comics industry is known for having very little bandwidth. You know, everything's right now, right now, right now. You've got to get it done right now. And so sometimes I think especially when you're starting off in these kind of low level positions, it's easy to get left in the dust. Um, I interned at DC during the last recession and it really kind of broke my heart that there were no jobs. And, you know, it's, I was fresh out of college. I did not realize there were no jobs anywhere. It was not like personal and it was not just DC, mm -hmm. but Mike was the one who sat me down and he said, you know, I want you to know nobody walks into the Yankees. And what, what he meant by that is, you know, Every, just about everybody you can talk to in the comics industry, unless they're like a best-selling novelist or a TV writer, you know, or, or something like that, in which case they had their own kind of journey to go through um, before they, you know, settled in comics. Um, but, you know, everybody kind of works their way up. They work in the indies and then they start kind of building their career. And honestly, the people who do that, they're usually better off for it. You know, I never want to be the guy who thinks he can run before he can walk. Um, mm -hmm. I would much rather um, keep honing my skills and my craft as a writer, um, telling creator-owned stories. Um, you know, if, if a licensed place gave me a call, I'd, I would happily answer, but I like telling my own stories. Um, so I had been, I'd been uh, talking with Aftershock for a long time. And I knew people like Mike and uh, Steve Rotterdam, their SVP of marketing, um uh, lee kramer i had met at a bunch of different shows um i had lunch with him a few times here in los angeles and uh so the way that aftershock works and it's similar to a place like boom and i'm probably getting a little into how the sausage is made but people might like this um there are I eat a lot of sausage and yeah. you know <laughs> so there's some places like um action lab or image where they want you to have a full creative team and for a particular one book so Spencer and Locke and going to the chapel, that, those were concepts that I had already found my team. I had financed the books. I had written out the full outline. It was basically, here's the pitch, thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, Aftershock is actually a very different animal. And I would, I would say that the process behind this book has just as much in common with the big two as it does something creator-owned. Uh, Aftershock wants to be more involved with the development of the book. Uh, for example, I've never had a creative team uh, match made for me before. Um, you know, Mike and my uh, other editor, Christina Harrington, um, they were the ones who brought Luca Casalinguida uh, on board and uh, colorist Matt Miller and letterer Carlos Manguel. Um, you know, they, that, was, that was a really fun experience that kind of took a lot of pressure off of me. I, I tend to put a lot of pressure on myself when I'm the sole editorial conduit. Mm -hmm. um, in this case, um, you know, I have editors who are the editorial conduit. And so I get to work with them to figure out like what battles are worth fighting and like, and also to get a sense of like, well, what can I do to sort of up my game as, as a creator? So uh, I remember having lunch with Lee 
and I specifically said, Hey, like, what do you like? How do I pitch to you guys? Because I had pitched a few other series to them in the past that were, I think, more developed than they they wanted. Um, I had pitched the OZ. I had pitched Grand Theft Astro, my uh, upcoming sci-fi book, uh, and uh, they were too long for Aftershock as well. They prefer four to five issues. Uh, those are both were both at six. And Lee said, "Just send me some log lines, and we can sort of get a we can have a conversation about that. If there's anything that kind of stands out to us." And I remember asking him distinctly, how many do you want? He said, send as many as you want. Huge mistake on Lee's part. I think I sent him like a dozen log lines. And Scout's Honor was actually the one that had been most recent. Um, it was, I just recently come up with that idea a few weeks ago, this idea of, uh, you know, history is a game of telephone. And it's not just written by the victors, it's written by the survivors. What happens if we have like a dark ages that totally cuts off that continuity? you know, humanity wants continuity and it wants meaning and it wants history. And so what's the, what's the most random thing that they could find sort of build their life as a new Bible. And um, I kind of stumbled upon this idea of a Boy Scout manual. I, I realized like, oh, if you built a society on that, that would look kind of weird. And it's sort of that, that ratio of there are some cool elements and there are some really sinister elements. And how do you kind of navigate the two? Um, and so that was the, the pitch that Aftershock really, they immediately were like, that one sounds cool. Like, let's flesh that out. And so as I sort of dove into it, the concept kept reinventing itself. Um, I realized very quickly, you know, the downside of having a story about a Boy Scout cult is in 2020, or I guess the book's coming out in 2021, but I did not know that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird to have like an all male cast, you know, it feels like it, it, in this, in this day and age, I don't, you know, I don't want to have like a super homogenous cast. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, Oh, I can just lean into that. Like, you know, if the boy Scouts by virtue of their name is, you know, I mean, not anymore, but it was, you know, gender exclusive mm-hmm. lean into it you know, have this, you know, if it's a story about secrets and the Ranger Scouts having a secret of their own, let's have our main character. She has a secret. And that is she can't, she has to hide part of who she is in order to try to become the person she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I describe it a lot as like Fallout meets Mulan uh, with a little bit of Hunger Games and a little bit of Handmaid's Tale thrown sure. in. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a, it was an interesting process. You know, I gave them the log lines and then I came up with an outline and then I wrote the first issue. And once they had all of that together, then they were like, yeah, okay, let's run with this. Like, let's, we're going to green light this. We're going to, we're going to go for it. And um, yeah, it was an interesting process and, and a really fun learning curve. Um, you know, I, I, like I've said before, I'm used to, I'm used to being the sole editorial conduit and that has its pros and cons to it. Um, and one of the cons, I think, is it does mean that it, it's a slower development process. Mm-hmm. Um, my scripts are a lot like Tom King's. If you've ever read one of his, they're pretty Spartan. Um, I like to talk with my artists a lot during the thumbnail stage. Um, and usually at that point, there are very little notes afterwards because I'm a big believer. Panel layouts and thumbnails are really kind of the foundation the whole book rests on. Mm-hmm. Um, with Scout's Honor... I realized very quickly, oh, like there's an actual schedule here. There's an actual timetable. Um, I was really fortunate that I kind of shotgunned through 
the whole series pretty quickly. Um, I turned in my last script just before the July 4th holidays. Um, I have it easy. I'm the writer. <laughs> Having an actual artist who's doing the physical labor of putting it together, I've been so impressed with the way that Luca has worked because not only is he a super talented artist, he's very dramatic and he really nails these thoughtful moments and then switches gears seamlessly into these like very scary, badass looking action sequences. But he was doing it at a ridiculously fast timetable. Um, I think he would there was a period where he was, he was churning out an issue like every six or seven weeks, um, which for any of my books is unheard of. <laughs> um, you know, usually, usually my artists are working at least time and a half compared to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and working with Mike and Christina was a really good learning experience because I realized, oh, you really got to kind of measure twice, cut once. Um, you have to figure out like, what's the information that my artist might need? Um, you know, can I try to find some reference ahead of time? Um, to sort of cut down on any back and forth. Um, you know, if there are any changes that need to be made to the actual story, you know, so I don't kill Luca, uh, you know, with, with, with redraws and figuring out, okay, like uh, this, is, this is a new spin that Luca has put in. How do I lean into that? How do I adjust the story in my dialogue to make that happen? Um, I think this process made me a more nimble writer. I, and I think, I've said to anybody who listen, I want to be a 30 year man in this business. You know, I want to be like the Grant Morrisons out there who have been doing this, uh, you know, until they, until they're in a pine box. And I think learning this process, you know, of learning how to work with editors and how to sort of be even more of a team player, not just a team leader. I think that's a a real survival set of skills that I think is going to, I think I'm going to be leaning on that a lot. Uh, as as my career moves forward, mm-hmm. so um, we talked we talked about Kit, yeah, and and who she is, yeah, right, and um, you know, there's there's this is this is going to dovetail with something, you know, Matt and I were both wondering, uh, you know, there's the twist at the end, right, and then there's the mid issue twist, which is mm-hmm. is Kit, yeah, um, I was that. <laughs> How much of a, a, a spoiler or secret was that intended to be originally? Because I was, I was thinking yeah. about this, you know, what we could yeah. ask, what we couldn't, because yeah, we, yeah. we don't want to spoil your book. It's not out yet. Sure, yeah. It's out, out in January. Yeah, yeah. But then I looked at the solicited text for issue two. Oh, okay. I guess Cat is out of the bag. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it was one of those things. I, it is out so, of the bag. It's, it's, it's a, <laughs> the kid is out of the bag. I love it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question. And it's something that I'm always kind of thinking about. I mean, for those, for those who don't kind of know my, 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 my biography, um, I got my start in the comics press. I, you know, after I was at DC, I uh, was at Newsarama for over a decade and I was their reviews editor for a long time. And um, my day job, I worked in publicity and PR over at CBS in New York. For a very long time. And so I'm always kind of thinking, not just as a writer, but like as a publicist um, and, 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 and a marketer. And I, I'm always trying to figure out a way to be as sensitive and empathetic as I can with, with my work. Um, because I think a lot of my high concepts, if told carelessly, could be like kind of edgelord territory. Mm-hmm. And that's not what I, that's not who I am. And that's not what I want, the stories I want to tell. Mm-hmm. So the thing about Kit, and it's funny that you, you, you it's not a huge spoiler to say that, you know, we, we, we 
for those who haven't read the marketing, you know, we, we, we show who Kit is for real in the middle of the book. And um, the reason why I have put that out there is because I, I don't want people thinking of that reveal as something titillating. Uh, I don't want people to think like I'm trying to do it as some sort of like, aha, gotcha moment. Um, it's the, the, the twist of Kit being a woman in a, in a cult that really only prioritizes men. That's her story. That's not really, that's not something that I, I wanted to have as sort of like a weird punchy twist. And so um, that was actually something that I, I discussed with, uh, with Christina, my, one of my editors on the book, because originally she, that was one of her notes was saying, well, what if we put that at the end? And um, like I said, you know, this was a good learning process of figuring out like what notes are the right notes and what notes can I sort of do a little bit of gentle pushback on. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, well, first off, I don't want to, I don't want to have two twists back to back. Um, I want to give them some space to breathe, but also I feel like this story is really important to know that like, this is a, a, a story of a woman navigating a world of toxic masculinity and how oppressive that can be. Um, you know? And so it was something that I've been very, I've been trying to be kind of mindful and careful about. And that's why I realized as we were talking about the book, I was the one who kind of made that judgment call of saying, you know what, like, I don't want people going into this book with a preconceived notion that, oh, this is an all dudes book. And then suddenly he's got a twist that she's really a woman, mm -hmm. you know, as opposed to just having my cards on the table for that one. Um, and just saying, you know, like, yeah, this is the story of a woman really kind of navigating in the worst possible way, a man's world. And, you know, how can she, this is a story of how she winds up reconciling a lot of different things, um, whether it's sort of being true to who she is as a person, um, but also true to her aspirations and true to her faith. Um, I feel like this book, like I, like I said, I'm, I'm a practicing Jew. This is not an anti-religion book by any means. Um, it's a book though, that's very much in tune with say something like the Catholic priest scandals. You know, um, my, my girlfriend was raised Catholic and she is not a member of the church specifically because of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how do you sort of hold on to those values while still recognizing that there are bad people out there? And sometimes the worst people are the ones dressed as clergy. Um, so, yeah, that that was kind of the reason why I decided to just kind of lead with that and not and, and not so much have it as a, as a, as a twist but uh, just lead with it because I want readers to know what this book is about and I want them to know what I'm about as a writer. And um, in that regard, I would much rather err on the side of caution, even if I'm doing some mild spoilers for the first issue, um, rather than risk any unintentional harm to anyone who might be reading this book. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that's sort of the absolute least I can do uh, is try to be responsible as a writer. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the method to my madness, so to speak. So I think you kind of answer, especially if we're saying that that is more, let's say, a revelation than a yeah. twist. Yeah. Because thinking about it as a twist, you then get two major twists in the first issue. And it made yeah. me wonder if 
you're going to be doing that, you know, let me just keep pulling the, each issue will be, oh, we're going to, we're going to keep moving in this sort of twilight zone oh, oh, wait, no, no, oh, the real, the, you ever see the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, the very first one, where the, the Simpsons are on the, uh, the alien spacecraft, and Lisa finds the cookbook, yeah. and it's like, you know, how to cook humans, wait, no, there's some dust on here, how to cook four humans. Wait, there's more dust. How to kick 40 humans. Or the, the <laughs> twist keeps going. And then, like, no, four 40 humans. And it's just this twist, on top, twist on top of twist. Yeah. And I, wasn't, I mean, and which isn't, which is, I'm not slamming that as an idea because there sure. are stories that work like that. But it made me wonder, are we going to just keep getting these sort of big, like, <laughs> pop, like, oh, wait, no, 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 this kind of thing as we go through the series or is the final twist at the end of this issue sort of the, the jumping off point for what happens next? Well, so, so yes and no. I mean, so, so is this book about a woman navigating a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult? Yes. The answer, that is yes. That will be the whole story, the whole time. I promise it's, they're not going to find out that it's like Planet of the Apes or, you know, like, like the concept will be the concept, I swear. Um, but there, there are going to be little twists and, and turns that are character driven uh, through the book. Um, you know, uh, specifically, you know, um, uh, Kit's best friend, Dez, um, he's, he's a, re- a really fun character um, that, we, that we really kind of explore in this book. In certain ways... Dez is like the Loki to kids Thor. Um, Dez's father is uh, the scoutmaster, who's kind of the religious and political leader of this cult. And so Dez, he's grown up with this immense scrutiny, um, even in a cult that already throws its children into like the most like devastating kind of training because they always need them to be prepared. Um, and yet Dez always kind of comes up second to kid and what's worse is despite them being best friends des does not know kit's secret um and that's kind of a that's kind of a big thing um and des also has some secrets of his own and you know what i'm gonna also have a little bit of mild spoilers here uh uh, you know because we're all friends here and i want people to read the book um i thought pretty early on if a Boy Scout cult would be kind of rough on women, mm-hmm. how would they treat a member of the LGBT community? Mm-hmm. And that is something that Des's story kind of explores a bit. Um, it's, there's a lot of self-loathing that would, would, would result in an upbringing like that, where, you know, like I said, secrets can be kind of crushing and oppressive. And especially if you don't really feel like you have anybody to talk to about that. And so when Kit kind of makes her discovery at the heart of the, the Boy Scout or the Ranger Scout doctrine, she's, her arc is going to be kind of trying to confirm the truth. Did I see what I thought I saw? Is this really accurate? Um, Des does not know any of this. And so Des keeps thinking, oh, my best friend is trying to kind of thwart me at every turn maybe I'm not going to play so nice. And so it be, what starts off as a friendship, a lifelong friendship kind of devolves into a really bitter rivalry. And um, at the same time, as I wrote Dez's character, 
I couldn't help but feel heartbroken for him every single time. He is not a mustache twirling villain by any stretch of the imagination because we see how he's grown up and we see how he's treated by his father, who is also his political and spiritual leader. Um, how could he not kind of grow up maladjusted? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, you know, seeing his trials and tribulations, uh, I think has made him like a, a very well-layered villain. And I think probably a better well-layered villain than I've written previously. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, so there, there are twists in, in that regard, um, you know, and there are going to be some twists sort of to the heart of the Ranger Scouts. Um, you know, we see them initially as sort of the saviors of the Colorado Badlands um, and sort of this mutated, irradiated, uh, you know, dangerous place. They're the ones who are trying to protect caravans and they're the ones trying to protect villages and uh, against um, a group of raiders known as the highwaymen. Mm-hmm. And um, yet we're going to find some kind of wrinkles at the heart of it all. Um, the Ranger Scouts are not as altruistic as Kit thinks. Um, and that's, I think, a little bit of cognitive dissonance on her part as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is a true believer. And we'll see as the story progresses why that might be. Um, she believes in the tenets of the Ranger Scouts, even when the, the people who are running the, t- the Ranger Scouts might not be living by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that might be her salvation who knows um i will say it was really fun kind of mapping out this boy scout cult though um i was not a, a boy scout but my younger brothers were and that was kind of the kernel of the story was seeing the boy scouts on the outside in uh to them it was all about camaraderie and learning practical skills and maybe a little bit of friendly rivalry you know with their friends on the outside, though, you see the pageantry and the costumes and the laws, and it can look, you don't have to squint hard to make it look like a cult. And as I did my research on the Boy Scouts, uh, you know, there were things like, you know, the founder of the Boy Scouts, you know, there, where there's sort of already this mythology around him. So we, I, I created a character, Dr. Jefferson Hancock, who has been sort of mythologized as this Messiah prophet figure. Um, and he's holding the two tablets with the seven Ranger Scout laws. Um, the real life Boy Scouts have 10 laws and you do not have to bend them very far to see how it can be twisted into something a little sinister. Mm-hmm. Things like um, you shall always obey your Scoutmaster. Uh, things like uh, a Scout always shows mercy. Well, in a post-apocalyptic world, that might need giving somebody a quick death. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, building that mythology and that religion was really fun. For those who read the first issue, and this is not a spoiler by any means, but um, we actually have some back matter from Scoutmaster Shepard uh, explaining 14 uh, Ranger Scout badges, uh, which are sort of their, it's almost like their communion in a way. Um, you know, things like archery or wilderness survival, but more extreme things too, like explosives or tactical driving. And uh, for anyone listening to this, especially any retailers, um, we did a really cool partnership with Aftershock where uh, any store that orders more than 20 copies will actually get these Ranger Scout merit badges. Nice. Um, so uh, uh, I, I worked with their design team to kind of design them and, figure, and sort of write a backstory behind all of these uh, uh, merit badges. So um, it was fun kind of fleshing out the world through that. Um, for example, the explosives merit badge. Uh, 
that's their religion. You know, they, 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 the, this new world was birthed with an explosive. And so their, their, their thought is we have to respect the bomb. We have to know how explosives work. We have to figure out payload composition and blast wave radii, because if we don't pay sufficient respect to the bomb, then we might be the thing the bomb consumes next. And so, you know, it, it was sort of, um, again, growing up Jewish, um, you know, it, it, is, it really is a religion for literary types because it's all about arguing different interpretations. You know, you'll see mm-hmm. apocryphal material saying, oh, well, five different rabbis are arguing five different meanings for the same passage. And so that was kind of fun, uh, finding different angles of meaning for the Boy Scout doctrine. Because I think that's ultimately why that cult exists is in a world that has been kind of wiped clean. That was the, that was the sole link to the previous continuity. And that, so that's what they've kind of built. And yeah, it's kind of mutated over time, but um, that's sort of that game of telephone and seeing how things have been exaggerated and mutated. Um, even down to the uh, signature weapon of the Rangers catch, which we, uh, we show off a little in the second issue and we, we go into a lot in our final issue, the switchblade, which is these like final fantasy style swords that have like sub blades in the middle um, with like a can opener or a screwdriver, but they're like, oh, this is like what like opens up armor. Or this is what like, you know, uh, can, can find water or, or start a fire because the game of telephone goes, oh, well, you know, the original scouts have these giant blades, even though we know that like, yeah, it's a Swiss army knife. It fits yeah. in the palm of your hand. Um, that felt like a very fun, but also telling bit of imagery for this culture, this, this toxic masculinity culture, mm-hmm. uh, where, yes, of course, it's no surprise that they're going to say bigger is better. Um, so yeah, it's a, it, it was a surprisingly fun world to build up. I'll, I'll tell you that much. I, I do love the image of a Swiss army buster sword. That is yeah, uh... exactly, exactly. <laughs> It's fantastic. But, um, you know, let's, let's also make sure, uh, let's, you know, you've got uh, the OZ, uh, your Kickstarter this year, uh, which you basically transformed your apartment into an Amazon fulfillment (laughs) warehouse. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Get out the backers. (laughs) Yes. uh, We're thankfully uh, I am, uh, I'm turning a corner there as well. I am uh, wrapping up our international backers, which will then get the last of these books out of my apartment. Um, yeah, I couldn't be more blown away by the response to that book. Um, I, if, you know, for those who don't know about that book, it's um, What if the Hurt Locker took place in the Wizard of Oz. It's about Dorothy Gale's granddaughter, who's a disillusioned Iraq war veteran who uh, gets swept up by a tornado and finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of Oz. Uh, it turns out that, you know, when your grandmother kills two wicked witches and convinces the Wizard of Oz to leave in like a week and then splits... <laughs> it causes a power vacuum. And so Oz looks something not unlike Baghdad right now. And um, so this new Dorothy's going to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends in order to bring peace to the occupied zone, or as the locals call it, the OZ. Uh, and yeah, boy, I can't believe how much people responded to that uh, Kickstarter. Um, I started with a goal of $6,000 thinking, how do we hit this in 30 days? And um, we smashed through it in two hours. <laughs> um, and so it's already kind of learning a new sport. You know, Kickstarter is a very different kind of set of laws of physics than the direct market. Mm-hmm. 
this is sort of like being on a different planet and kind of having to figure that out on the fly. Um, you know, how do we keep adding value to the book um, while not blowing up our shipping? Um, and uh, so I'm really happy with how it turned out. Um, we're working on the second installment right now. Uh, the whole book is written. So it's just a matter of just uh, artist Ruben Roas. It's just, you know, him kind of chipping through pages. Um, but yeah, I, I can't, I can't, even begin to express how grateful I am for everybody who's who's backed the book. Uh, everybody's been so patient as their awards have come in, especially during kind of the craziness of post-election and holiday service with the post office. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's just been uh, really wonderful. It's been a special book to me for a really long time. Um, it's one of the first ideas I came up with after Spencer and Locke. And it sort of has we've had a lot of publishers who were interested, but not interested enough to actually give us a contract. Mm. Um, and so I feel really empowered now. I feel like I will, Kickstarter will be a part of how I do business moving forward. Um, because as a creator, I don't have to wait for permission. Mm -hmm. I get to just make the book and now I know how to make a book and promote a book, but now I know how to fulfill it. And so that really, I, I, can, I don't think it's me talking out of school when I say, I, I made more with the OZ than I have any other book ever. And that was just with the first issue. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, you might even, I could probably even say more than all of my other books combined. Um, it's just, uh, I couldn't be more grateful. Um, our Emerald Army really pulled through in a major way. And uh, I'm hoping people are excited with the actual book. So they come back for part two, uh, probably in February or March. So you, so you that was the, the question uh, were you planning to on uh, um, part two to be a kickstarter as well yes you know it, it's one of those things part of the reason i did a kickstarter um there were a lot of reasons for it first was uh i had been told by a lot of people who had done kickstarters you should really consider doing a kickstarter and um charlie stickney uh co-publisher over at scout the creator of white mm -hmm. ash big kickstarter success story uh he and i are buddies uh we've tabled together um we're both here in la i think he's a really smart talented creative guy and um so we've had a lot of conversations and charlie was the one who said you know they're your wednesday warriors they go to the shop every wednesday and there's the people who go to cons which don't exist anymore uh, there's the people who buy stuff on Amazon and the people who buy them on Comixology or your Webtoons people. Mm -hmm. He's like, there's a whole other contingent that just is crowdfunding. And you've done with your previous books, no outreach to them. And so I was like, oh yeah, that's a whole other kind of diaspora that we could kind of bring to break bread at the same tables, the direct market people. And then between that and, um, and COVID shutting down Diamond, um, I realized, you know, there, are there were publishers who expressed interest in the OZ that sort of kept us dangling for the better part of the year. Mm. I realized I could solve one problem with another. You know, I could, I had two issues of the OZ ready and the majority of the series written. Um, and we could bring that to Kickstarter, introduce ourselves to that community with some of my best work. It's a win-win. And, um, the Kickstarter community really came through in a big way. And I think that was helped by a lot of people in the direct market who were fans of my previous work. And that's always been my goal. It's how do I invite more people to the table? How do I build a bigger table? You know, um, because I do think the interest in comics is there. I think it's just atomized. I think it's fragmented amongst these different subgroups, like I mentioned. 
Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was just, I, I, it felt like a leap of faith rewarded, you know, um, you spend a lot of time believing in, in, if not your book, if not your concept in your creative team. And I've said the way that most of my books, Scouts on or notwithstanding, every other book has been, I will get this published, even if I have to do it myself out of spite. Mm-hmm. That's how much I believe in my teams and, um, and how much I believe in the concepts. And so the fact that uh, almost 1,300 people, who a lot of them don't know me, um, put their money where my mouth is, so to speak, um, <laughs> that was really gratifying. And, um, you know, you spend your life loving comics, and it's very rare to have a day where comics loves you back. And that's what I really feel like the OZ was to me. And um, it's an experience that I will always be grateful for. And that's the reason why I am continuing on Kickstarter. Um, You know, those people believed in us, honestly, before a lot of publishers did. And a lot of people in the direct market did. I owe it to them to, to make sure they get first dibs. They're the early adopters. If the OZ ever got a second life in the direct market, um, of course I'd be thrilled. That has not been the case. Um, it's still not the case, even with a, with a, when you include Backerkit, a $50,000 Kickstarter. Um, I owe it to them. Um, and, and not only that, but you know, these are the people who I want to cross-pollinate. I want to convince a Kickstarter backer to pre-order Scouts Honor at their local comic shop. Um, and so by sort of bringing my A game um, to as many projects as I can, uh, and as many different genres as I can, I'm just hoping to kind of keep keep growing that audience um, because every single one of them is important to me, and, and I'm grateful for every single one of them. You know, I, I will say in in this hell year, one of the the bright lights has been seeing creators. Um, you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of first time Kickstarters this year, but you know, also a lot of just more common Kickstarters in general. But you know, it's been great to see you know your success with the OZ like Liana Kangas with True Cult, uh, you know, a little bit before that. Uh, Ed Brisson just did one. Um, You know, we've had a lot of guests on this show, um, you know, because they had a a Kickstarter to promote. And, you know, I I feel like because it's it's their baby too, they're they're more readily to, to, you know, talk to us at length about it as well. You know, yeah, as if I were as if I were just trying to get you know any old you know body from right. DC to talk about their book. <laughs> I mean, right. I'm getting more press releases. More, I've been writing about comics Kickstarters. I think longer than a lot of people because I was an early early Kickstarter yeah. adopter. I, I have back many many many. I could go on. There's a lot of many's there, yeah. uh, comics <laughs> Kickstarters, and now it's like. I, I almost, there's times where I feel like I'm competing with like other, there's more right. competition for getting interviews with people who are doing Kickstarters. Than well, I, I think, I think first off is it's very forward thinking of you. And you, you know, you see people like Charlie Stickney who've been doing this for years. And I think up until this year, there was, there was a little vestige of a stigma, you know, of sort of people thinking, Oh, well, you're, you went to Kickstarter cause you couldn't hack it in the direct market, even though the numbers <laughs> The numbers make it very clear that like, if you go on a Kickstarter, you will actually make money. Whereas if you're self-financing a book, unless you've got a page rate, you know, if you're lucky enough to land in a place like Aftershock that will pay you an upfront page rate, 
most of the time, I mean, I can tell you Spencer and Locke and, and going to the chapel, um, I knew I was going to operate in the red for a while. I knew that it was going to have to be me aggressively promoting it, me aggressively selling it at cons for me to recoup my investment. I just knew that was going to be a loss leader. Um, but I think with the diamond shutdown and people like Scott Snyder uh, doing their own Kickstarters, I think that was kind of the one-two punch that now people are realizing like, oh, no, it's just an alternate means of getting your work out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's a little bit of sort of flying without a net. You know, you don't have the publisher to leverage. You don't have an editor to leverage or blame things on. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all you. And um, at the same time, having worked at a place like Action Lab, who I, I love that they gave me sort of the latitude to do whatever I want, but that was also partially, they don't have the bandwidth to sort of make any sort of corrections besides this thing is spelled wrong or your CMYK levels are not correct for printing. Um, they, don't, they, they don't have the time to make story edits on me. Um, and, you know, that was good training for a Kickstarter like this, is that I was just kind of like, all right, like, I'm the guy. Like, the book stops with me. And um, having, having been the reviews editor at Newsarama, I'm kind of used to that pressure. Um, I don't even see it as a bad thing, you know? Um, every, every team needs a leader. Every, you know, every, every group of turtles needs a Leonardo. Um, <laughs> I, I am, I am uh, as, much as, as much as I would love to be a Raphael or a Michelangelo, I know that I am a Leonardo. Um, all my friends will say so. Uh, and and um, at the same time, I think that makes me like fiercely protective of mm-hmm. my people. Um, there's very little that ever will tick me off in the comics industry. I feel so privileged and lucky to be here and to have made sort of the, the weird zigzag I have to gotten here. But I will say, if anybody says something bad about one of my, my teammates, mm-hmm. that's when I like angrily grouch to a friend on like Facebook Messenger. Um, <laughs> you know, where I'm just like, how dare they say that about this person who put in so much time and effort um, to, you know, put this thing out, you know, how dare they be rude? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just, you know, that's kind of what I like at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I know comics, sometimes it's easy to kind of just put out comics, you know? Um, I think it, it, the worst thing that anybody could call one of my books is product. Um, I, I don't think I'm the best writer out there there are definitely way many, there are a lot of better writers out there than me. Um, but I, 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 I do try to bring a point of view mm-hmm. to everything I write. Um, that's sort of, I think the least I can do for people who are going to put down their hard earned money is to try to have a perspective there and to try to have some, some idea of a vision behind mm-hmm. the book. Um, and that, that vision often changes and evolves with my, my creative teammates, people like Luca uh, Castellanguida or Ruben Rojas, um, who is honestly the next superstar artist in the making, um, artist of the OZ. Um, uh, even, you know, uh, people like uh, George Santiago Jr., my Spencer and Locke uh, co-collaborator, who uh, we just finished a superhero one shot together. Um, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it all goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, where it's like, I have the easy job as the writer i could in theory work on five different projects at once um an artist at best two projects you Mm -hmm. know 
Um, this is physical labor. You know, if they blow out their wrist, that's a career ending injury. The least I can do is talk about how incredible they are, how incredibly lucky I've been to be able to work with them because um, it's comics. It's a visual medium. At the end of the day, beyond my high concept, nobody cares what I write. Like you, people can, I know in the reviews trenches, people focus on the writing because of the story, but like really at the end of the day, if it's a crappy looking book, like it wouldn't get any traction. But at the same time, it's a, it's a great looking book. I got plenty of cover and nobody cares what I write then. Um, it's very free for me as a writer. And so um, the least I can do is uh, to say people like Luca and Ruben and George and Gavin Guidry from uh, going to the chapel. Um, they're all incredible. Um, and I'm so grateful and fortunate and lucky to be working with them and uh, seeing the kind of work that they have coming down the pike. Um, I'm jealous that you all get to experience it for the first time soon. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, in, in addition to, to all of this, uh, you've got some anthology work uh, coming up. Yes. Uh, you contributed uh, Die, Die, Danger Ronin to the <laughs> Nightmare Theater Horror Kickstarter. Yep. And uh, according to your website, you've got a couple more shorts due out uh, yeah. next year. Is this kind of a, a new thing, the, the short story thing that you're looking to play with? Or? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, um, I, you know, I was really lucky enough to be invited to a few anthologies this year. Um, and I think this year in particular, there was a lot of anthologies going around. I think a lot of people were like, it's COVID, we're all in lockdown, the industry's on pause. Like, what can we do to kind of like get work out that's not going to rely on a diamond infrastructure that might be uncertain? Mm-hmm. And so uh, my pals, uh, uh, Dave Schrader and Clay Adams. Um, Dave Schrader is the writer and creator of Baby Badass at Action Lab. Clay just came out with um, Red Xmas over at Scout uh, this week or it was last week. Um, I, they're both LA guys. Um, I've known them just from doing shows here and, 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 and signings. And they told me they were doing a horror anthology. I had not written horror before. Um, and I wasn't, I was kind of like, I don't know. Like I was still getting the OZ out. I was, uh, I believe I was working on Scout's Honor. I think I just started. And so I was kind of like, I don't know if I have the bandwidth. And then Schrader kind of said the magic words to me, which he says, oh, it's a horror uh, anthology about film and television. And I was like, okay, you got me. Um, You're telling me I can riff on pop culture? Well, twist me (laughs) on. And so every story I do, I get a little bit of a bucket list. You know, Um, it's usually sort of what can I do that I didn't do in this story? With Spencer and Locke, it was, okay, like I did something about hard-boiled detectives. What if I did something about criminals? And, you know, that was a small cast. What if I did something with a big cast? Um, the OZ was like, okay, you've done street level crime twice. How do you do something kind of bigger in terms of scale and scope with, with the genre? Um, and so I thought to myself, there are a couple of things that I really wanted. Some of it, I'll admit, <laughs> there's a little bit of a, 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 a self-serving quality to it. And then I was like, you know, it's an anthology short. It's something that I can show for future work down the line. So I said, what are some places that I would really love to work in the future? And um, anybody who's ever uh, uh, watched my Twitter, uh, poor Alex Segura already knows this because I message him every few months. I really <laughs> want to do an Archie horror book, desperately. Uh, Afterlife with Archie was like hugely influential on me. Um, you can see it in the DNA of Spencer and Locke, uh, uh, very apparently. Um, I wanted to do that, something like that. So I was like, all right, teenage horror. But I was also like, I really want to do superheroes. And then I realized like, oh, teenage superheroes with horror and i that's how i came up with power rangers versus the walking dead 
Um, and so, yeah, I worked with uh, Erica DeUrso. Uh, she's an artist who I've been watching for a long time. Uh, she's worked with my friend Pat Shand on Prison Witch. Um, I was so lucky that she happened to have a break in her schedule for this uh, short eight pager. Um, and uh, she's going to be a superstar. I mean, she, she really kind of operates in the same school as like a Tanya Warren Johnson. Um, so I'm kind of like, how did I luck out into getting her uh, Roche, our colorist, they work together on a James Bond short, I believe, or one shot or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they are just a dream team together. And so, yeah, it, um, you know, it's sort of my love letter to old school Power Rangers, um, to the, uh, that James Vanderbeek uh, fan film uh, Power Rangers, uh, uh, that sort of dark dystopian one, uh, 28 Days Later. Um, all sorts of kind of fun influences. Um, yeah, Zombie Power Rangers, it's so fun, believe it or not. So um, yeah, that Kickstarter is, uh, they've wrapped the Kickstarter and the book, the hardcover is in production. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they are, I think it's at the printer and it's got to ship, I believe, from China and then they've got to distribute it. So it's not going to be out until the summer. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really cool. I've gotten to read it. A lot of cool creators are involved. Uh, Charlie Stickney, uh, Russell Nahelty, um, uh Dave Schrader and Clay Adams, just to name a few. Um, there's another anthology that I can't reveal what it is yet. Uh, I think it'll be in previews in the next couple of months, I hope. Uh, but I got to work with uh, the Autumnals, uh, Chris Sheehan Ooh. on a short for that. Um, it's... Uh, <laughs> It was a good, I, I'm trying to say what I can say about this without spoiling the whole thing. Um, if you go to my website, you, you can see, so I guess I can, I can talk a little bit about what the, the high concept of the story is. Um, it's about environmentally conscious hitman. Um, I, uh, I was given, I was given um, a prompt of, can you do something with a little bit of an environmental element to it? And at first I was thinking about like all these environmental stories and I was like, no, all these ideas suck. They're terrible. And then I realized like, oh, you should just lean into who you are. I like writing crime. And so I was just like, oh, what if I just wrote crime that happened to have an environmental twist? And so um, that is the story of, uh, of, our, of our, you can't really call him hero, our anti-hero Pete, um, who uh, he's, got a, he's got environmental reasons for killing people. Um, and how does that sort of affect his day-to-day job? Um, Chris is just, this was before the autumnal was announced. Mm-hmm. And first off, I'm so proud uh, of seeing how Chris has blown up over the last few months. I'm so proud that I have a story that he's worked on. And um, I, keep, I keep bugging him to say, whenever your schedule is open, let me know. I will give you something that you will love. Um, <laughs> so I'm very excited about that. And then um, I do have, uh, like I mentioned, um, George Santiago Jr. and I uh, have finished a a one shot that uh, I guess I can announce this. If they get mad, they can get mad. Um, That'll be uh, at the page of the Big Hype Anthology next year. Um, It's uh, it's called Roxy Rewind. Uh, And this is a character that's been, this predates Spencer and Locke, uh, believe it or not. Um, But uh, Juniper Wells, uh, her mother was a drive-through waitress in the 1950s. Her father was a temporal scientist from the late 21st century. They met, had a baby, and decided to raise her in our present to split the difference. Mm. Um, the thing is, 
as the first ever child of two time travelers, Juniper has the ability to manipulate time up to 60 seconds. And so she uses those abilities um, as sort of a roller derby themed superhero. Um, so it's sort of my love, love letter to classic Spider-Man, um, a little bit of Life is Strange, uh, a little bit of Back to the Future thrown in the mix. And um, when I was invited to do a full length story uh, at 20 pages, um, I knew this was the time to bring Roxy out. And I knew that uh, there was nobody I wanted to, to bring her into the world more than George Santiago Jr. Um, he, he absolutely crushed it. It's our way of sort of melding. I grew up old school with superheroes, Marvel and DC. George, uh, his influences are classic manga. And so it was a really fun way to kind of wed those two influences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are, uh, it's going to be a black and white anthology uh, from what I've been told. Uh, we might do a color re-release down the line. Um, Jim Campbell, our letterer, is getting the final lettering done on that now. But uh, I couldn't be more thrilled with how that turned out. Um, I've always been very skeptical about the idea of outside superheroes, just because Marvel and DC and Valiant have it so locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have uh, uh, Pepsi and Coke and Dr. Pepper, do you really need RC Cola? You know, um, I didn't want to tackle superheroes unless I had an honest to God good twist on it. I feel like this is it. Um, uh, Juniper's story kind of feels like the next logical offshoot of the immigrant story that Clark Kent started all those years ago in the 30s. Um, she is the definition of my parents are not from around here. <laughs> she is the first generation temporal immigrant. And so not only are her parents sort of doing things in their own kind of their own unique way, but she has to kind of make her way in this world as their child mm-hmm. and figuring out a way, how can she kind of honor her parents, very different heritages and sort of, uh, remix it in her own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why, you know, for me, sci-fi plus, uh, uh, drive through waitress, you mash them together. It looks a little like roller derby. Um, that's, that's Juniper's passion and the way that she translates that into her sort of unlikely superhero career, um, couldn't be having more fun. Um, and, and I feel like once, uh, I finish Spencer and lock three with George and that'll sort of likely be our final statement on the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roxy Rewind is I think next in the list uh, just because he, he knocked it out of the park so well. That's awesome. So you've still got uh, Spencer Lock 3 and Grand Theft Astro in the chamber then. Yes. So uh, Astro's written. Um, uh, artist Jordi Perez has been very in demand since we announced that book. So we've been kind of uh, working within his schedule with that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, hard at work in issue two right now. Um, and once we have sort of more art finalized, then we'll be able to kind of, we don't have a set timeline for when mm-hmm. it's coming out. Um, uh, and then Spencer and Lock 3, same thing. Uh, I, I, I always sort of preface Spencer and Lock 3 with um, not only is it a lot of moving parts, we're doing a, a Garfield themed serial killer picking off the Peanuts gang. Uh, so it's a lot of research. It's triple the research. Um, I, 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 I and unlike Spencer and Lock 2, where was literally that was the first thing I worked on after Spencer and Lock 1, I've, had, I've written six or seven books in between mm-hmm. since Spencer and Lock 2. So I've just been, I've been busy um, and still kind of chiseling away at this story to make sure we do it right. Uh, this, is, this is our most ambitious volume. Um, I'm very excited with some of the ideas that have been kind of springing forth. Um, 
it's the natural evolution to Spencer and Locke's dynamic, but it's also uh, Locke's relationship with his daughter, Hero. Um, for those who read our second volume, you know Locke's relationships kind of hit the skids in a big way at the end of our second volume. This is going to be sort of the fallout of all of that. And how does this broken man put the pieces back together? Um, like I've said, all my stories are about redemption. Spencer and Locke has been sort of a major, major arc of redemption. Um, it's also, you know, it, it's hard because it, 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 even when you find certain influences that you, that you, you tap into, and there have been things ranging from uh, Seven to Sleepers to Predator that I've been sort of drawing from for this volume. There are not a whole lot of good third volumes out there in general. You know, threequels are hard. And I really want to stick the landing on this one. So I, you know, George has been very patient with me. Action Lab's been very patient with me. The readers have been very patient with me. And, and me saying, I want to make sure we do this right. Um, I don't, we don't get another shot at this. And so, um, so yeah, it's been slow going for sure. I've been chiseling away kind of Shawshank style at this one. Um, but uh, it's going to be worth it. Um, uh, you know, that, that series has been so near and dear to me, not just because it's my firstborn, but just because I see a lot of myself in it. And um, not that I, I, you know, I was, I, it's not like I grew up in, in an abusive house by any means, but um, I know what it's like to kind of look back at the failures of, of your past and the heartbreaks of your past and kind of ruminate and fixate. And how do you move past that? You know, these things define you to a certain degree, but can you ever really transcend them? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, you know, the cliche goes, you get by with a little help from your friends. And I think there's something profoundly sad, but profoundly hopeful about a hard-boiled detective who had to invent his own best friend in order to survive. That's kind of what we do is, as human beings is sometimes our mind goes to extraordinary lengths to protect ourselves. And, um, and that's why Spencer and Locke, it's a dark book for sure. Uh, we don't treat Locke with kid gloves. and We don't really treat anybody with kid gloves in that book. But seeing how he always struggles to come back. You know, it's like the line from Spider-Verse. I always find a way to come back. Um, that's hopeful. That's mm-hmm. inspiring. Um, and that's why it's, uh, it's, it's, it's still my favorite thing I've ever written. Well, uh, definitely, definitely looking forward to that. I saw the uh, the teaser art the other day with like Garfield's face spray painted uh, mm-hmm. on the wall with the with the claw marks on it. So uh, definitely it's hyped for fun. that. I'm I'm very. I'm, we've got a lot of plans, and 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 after after the end of volume two, nobody's coming out of that unscathed, and so uh, <laughs> we kind of get to see like, oh, this is what this is what they've been up to, um, and uh, uh, very little of it is pretty. So, um, uh, except for the art, um, so yeah, lots, lots of fun stuff. Um, uh, and I'm very excited to, to get that book into the wild. That's, that is sort of my new year's resolution for 2021 is, um, that is very high on the priority list to, uh, finally mm-hmm. roll my sleeves up and, 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 and get this thing out. You're going to get me to break my rule. It's I start a series in trade. I read it all the way through in trade. I started in singles. I read it through singles. I got volumes one and two in trade. Volume three, I think you're, I'm probably going to want to. I'm buy excited. I'm singles. excited. We're happy to have you because I can tell you, um, you know, Mon House has already said he will return for uh, variant covers. Mm. 
George and Jason Smith uh, have, have, have both committed to the series. Um, our, our artistic dream team, uh, Joe Mulvey is very interested in, uh, in variant covers. Um, we want to get uh, as many members of the team back as we can. Um, we're going to see uh, with Colin Bell's schedule uh, that he sort of said, you know, let me see what the schedule looks like when you've get actual scripts together. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, we've got the vast majority of the team already hundred percent committed and we may have a hundred percent of the team committed. Um, so yeah, it's just um, very fortunate is, is the thing I keep saying, but that team of Spencer and Locke, they are the scrappiest, most fun team to work with um and just every page they knock out just uh inspires me to bring my a-game for sure awesome well uh let's let's wind down uh what are you reading right now oh man um well definitely uh the hickman uh, x-men books um the whole x-men line i just answered a survey uh, uh multiversity just did a survey saying what comics got you through 2020 mm-hmm. and i was like the x-men line for sure um yeah. that is I think the freshest thing at the big two right now. Um, I love the ideas that they're, they're putting out there. If you read uh, Al Ewing's sword. Oh, uh, so good. Uh, yeah. So good. Felt like a real direct sequel to house of X and powers of X, which I really mm-hmm. like. Um, Al Ewing, uh, anything he's working on right now is gold. Um, mm-hmm. I was just, I, I just read um, his King in black uh, Hulk one shot. Uh, it, it was basically a Christmas comic. <laughs> it was, it was a silent Christmas comic that was half diehard and half aliens. And I was just like, how is this guy? Like, he's operating on a totally different level um, than, than the rest of us right now. Like, he and, and Hickman and Kieran Gillen and Rom V, I don't know what's in their Wheaties, but I want it. You know, those, those are the kinds of writers I'd love to be when I grow up. I'm just not that smart. Um, you know, uh, the, so Al Ewing's work on Guardians and Hulk is terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I just recently read Alex Pacnadel's Red Fork. Um, mm, yeah. Really loved that. That was, uh, I think that was honestly the best thing that Alex has ever written. Um, and he's written a lot of great stuff. Um, just read Steve Orlando and Philip Kennedy Johnson and Alec Morgan's Kill a Man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so good. It, you know, I, I saw the preview art. Um, it reminded me a lot of Ron Garney and Matt Miller and Daredevil. Um, just kind of these bold color choices. Mm-hmm. Um, Alec he deserves an Eisner nom for that book. Um, uh, that is my, that is my, my, my opinion. Um, the whole thing is great. You know, if you like Creed, it's Creed with a kind of an LGBT twist. Mm-hmm. Um, terrific book. Um, I've also been, um, I, I want to say it was Mark Stack who was rereading uh, Batman Incorporated. Um, and so I, I inspired by that. I've been rereading Batman Incorporated, rereading Scott Snyder's American Vampire um which is a book that i kind of slept on as it came out um i was you know being in the review trenches i had to cover what was the big marvel and dc things every single week and i, I mm-hmm. feel like i i missed that book and um i'm like oh okay i get why this guy wrote batman for like 10 years um <laughs> it, 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 it makes sense um just watched hellstrom while i was packing uh boxes uh, I'm a little sad that that didn't come back for season two, although I get exactly politically why it didn't just, mm. that was the last of the old Jeff Loeb regime. I yeah. get why it, you know, that wasn't continuing. Um, yeah, that's what I've been reading lately. Although, you know, my last three weeks have been a blur of packing. Mm. So I'm sure that there are some really well-deserving books that I 
am stupidly not remembering. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to keep up. I'm trying to keep up. It's been weird not being a reviewer anymore. It was such a part of my DNA for so long. And it certainly informed my voice as a writer mm-hmm. and the way that I analyze and break down the story. And so on the one hand, I miss it desperately. I, 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 there was a way that I kind of stayed a part of the industry in a way at a time that I otherwise could not. But on the other hand, running the Kickstarter, packing the Kickstarter, raising a new puppy and trying not to break her mentally or psychologically. Um, I do say to myself, Oh my God, I don't think I could have, I would have, I would have died. I would have mm-hmm. died if I tried to have kept my, my, my reviewing going on. But um, I like to, st- I, I, I want to stay up to date on things. Um, oh, Jed McKay's work. That was the guy I forgot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Black uh, Cat. Yeah. yeah. Black Cat. And um, his second issue of Taskmaster ruled. Um, oh, it was okay. I, I, I wasn't sure about the first issue and issue two reminds me of um, Remender's first Punisher arc. Um, just like real fun action uh, pacing. Um, mm-hmm. Just showing that like Taskmaster is just like, he's the guy who doesn't give up ever. And I'm kind of like, all right, that's a characterization I can get behind. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bittersweet mm-hmm. not seeing it as a reviewer anymore. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I miss it you know, to some capacity. And I think it's because you guys know just as well as anybody that comics journalism is often a thankless job. Um, it, you know, it is people are working for little to no pay. Mm-hmm. There is a whole fire hose of content being hit at you any moment of any day. And that's not including the days that the big two say, hey, we've, we're lifting an embargo in this thing. Let's put a wrecking ball through your schedule. Um, <laughs> but anybody who's ever worked in a newsroom or anybody who's worked at a, at a comics journalism site, there's that camaraderie. You've served in the trenches together. Some of my best friends are comics journalists. Uh, George Marston, uh, Pierce Lydon mm-hmm. are two of my best friends. Um, and it's because of my time at Newsarama, um, C.K. Stewart, um, Justin Partridge, um, you know, they are all wonderful people um, who I, I, would, I, would, I would trust with my life at this point. And, um, and so in that regard, you sort of, you look back and you feel a little wistful, you know. Um, but I feel really grateful that to my time at Newsarama, to my experience at Newsarama, to the things I learned at Newsarama, um, it's a hard business to get into. It's especially a hard business to get into if you are a former journalist. Um, you know, you hear of people like Gail Simone or Kelly Thompson um, or Matt Fraction or even going all the way back to Paul Levitz or, um, you know, they were former comics journalists. But I feel like sometimes it's almost like they're the exception that proves the rule. There are mm-hmm. some people who, I don't think I'm talking out of school when I say this. There are some people who I think have looked at my career and thought, oh, well, he was a critic, so that means he can't do it. If he could have done it, why didn't he do it sooner? And the thing that I always try to say is, um, I didn't do it sooner because I didn't give myself permission. Um, I, like I said, I grew up in Missouri. I never met anybody growing up who made a living creating. It wasn't until I tried all the stable jobs and kind of accidentally tripped and fell into a book, which at the time I only wrote thinking it would make me a better editor. It wasn't until the book came out and people liked it that I realized, you idiot, you're putting the cart before the horse. If you can write a good book, why don't you just be a writer? Um, That's why I didn't start. 
Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's just um, bittersweet. So, and that's why, you know, I, I, I thank you guys for taking the time to chat with me and, and sort of putting up with me rambling uh, from time to time. Um, but all the comics journalists who have been sort of, you know, not just supporting my work, although that is huge and I would not be where I am today without the army of journalists and retailers and fans that have really come together to raise my work up. But just the, the journalists that sort of kind of led the charge for the industry, especially during this chaotic year, it would be very easy for us all to kind of go into our corners in the fetal position and just be like, Oh, this is it. We're done. <laughs> and I think comics journalists are a particularly scrappy subsection of an already scrappy industry. And I think we wouldn't be able to stop because I don't think comics journalists would let us. Uh, <laughs> you know? And so, uh, and so I, I, I appreciate it. You know, it's, it's one of the things that always makes me, try to hold my feet to the fire. It always tries to make me up my game and try to be sort of considerate of the creative choices that I make. Um, and so um, I'm grateful for it. Um, and, and, and so thank you guys for all the hard work you've been doing. And thanks to all the other comics journalists who uh, have equally been making it um, uh, a fun and thoughtful um, blogosphere uh, to navigate. Well, uh, well, thank you. And these are, you know, I think there's some good words to, uh, to wrap up with. David, uh, how can people keep up with, with everything sure. you got going on? Yeah. Well, uh, first off, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PeposD. It's my last name, first initial. You can follow David Pepos Comics on Facebook. Um, you can subscribe to my newsletter, Pep Talks, at uh, bit.ly slash pepnews. Um, or you can visit my brand new website, davidpepos.com. All right, David, thank you so much for coming back on the show. My pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A and WMQ Comics are now part of the Xavier Files media empire, meaning you can find all our great comics coverage, along with some of the best X-Men and Marvel criticism around, at XavierFiles.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at XavierFiles.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Laswitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice, and a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones and Match Club Podcasts, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Lan M from Lan's Vids. You can follow WMQ Comics and Xavier Files on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. And until next week, in the immortal words of Abraham Lincoln, be excellent to each other. WMQA.